0: Well, the rest of you can turn to Jonah chapter one, uh, and that is we're we're starting a new sermon series um, this week, which I've been very excited about. Uh, Jonah is a, is a favorite book. Um, Jonah was a prophet. Ooh ooh, I guess he never got it. Doodly do, to quote the Veggie Tales for you. <laughs> Philip posted that this week, and I had to had to make some had to make some comment about it. I didn't have to, but I did. <laughs> He's a Jonah's called a minor prophet. He was active uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel from around seven eighty to seven forty uh, BC, kind of during the reign of uh, Jeroboam the uh, second. He was he was Jeroboam the second was he was one of the bad ones, um, as a lot of them were. But we hear about him again in, in Second Kings, kind of the only other time. Uh, that we hear about Jonah. Um, uh, it's called a minor prophet. So we have these distinctions in the Old Testament between the, the the prophets and the minor prophets. The minor prophets are not minor because of their impact was minor or the importance of what they wrote was minor or the importance of God's word that they delivered was minor. But just just simply that they had shorter books uh, than the other ones. Um, and I really I really think that's that's the difference. Um, but Jonah is a prophetic book, indeed. But it is unique. Uh, it is a prophetic book about a prophet uh, he, that he himself, Jonah himself, becomes as much a part of the message of the book as the objects of his prophecy, the the Ninevites. He is he is front and center throughout the entire thing. Uh, and and the great irony is that Jonah is called to go and to preach mercy and grace to a bunch of idolaters. But the thing that keeps him from going and doing that is his own idolatry. <laughs> and there, of course, there is this this tale with the fish uh, slash whale that features prominently that we tend to fixate on that kind of figures into a lot of our our uh, children's literature and stuff about Jonah. And of course that's important and has significance and we'll we'll get to that. Um, but the thing that I want us to think about Jonah as we go through it is uh, I want you to see you in Jonah. Uh, Jonah is us. As I read through Jonah, I think this guy is me. Uh, we have a lot in common, uh, Jonah and I. Um, That that he is us in so many different ways, that in his addiction to his comforts, uh, his suspicion of those who are different from him and and hold to different, uh, on on different sides of the aisle from him, uh, he has a sin, there's a presumptuous about Jonah regarding uh, God's grace and mercy. Uh, Tim Keller has one of the most helpful comparisons that I've read uh, regarding Jonah is that Jonah is a lot like both of the brothers in the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, And he says that in chapters 1 and 2 of Jonah, Jonah is the younger brother as he runs away from God in disobedience, seeking to get as far away from the father as he possibly can And then in chapters 3 and 4 of Jonah, Jonah very much plays the role of the older brother. As As he obeys God finally, sort of despite himself, he does so, we'll see, somewhat grudgingly. And this obedience seems to kind of be born of legalism rather than out of a genuine grasp of the gospel of grace and its working in his life. One of the things that Jonah brings us to as believers and confronts us with is is this sort of the, the intense human struggle that we all experience to, to forgive and to repent, that, that, that it is hard on a profound way, in a profound way, on a profound level, on a deep level, to move towards those who are uh, not just different from you, but like diametrically opposed to you, perhaps in their own worldviews. Like, there is nothing harder almost in the human experience than moving towards people like that with the truth of the gospel, people that you consider to be your enemies, to move towards them with the message of grace that has the potential and has the capacity and very much could and probably will turn those people who are currently you consider to be enemies into your brothers and sisters. Like, That is a very hard thing to do as humans. So it shows us a lot about Jonah, and it shows us that Jonah is us. But another thing that the book of Jonah shows us, more important than any of that, is that Jonah shows us God's heart for lost people. And you see it at the very end of the book in chapter 4, when God asks Jonah, and God asks Jonah these kind of rhetorical questions throughout the book, but this one that he asks, he says, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? Do you hear God's heart For the lost people, the lost souls, the people of Nineveh, that that God knows their names. And he knows that they don't know their right hand from their left hand. And his heart goes out to them, mercy and grace. So let's read Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a lot of us, I dare say all of us, want to find our mission in life, right? You want to know what God's will is for your life, his immediate, determinative, like, this is what I want you to do within your life, within the next couple of years. Like we would love to know what that is, wouldn't we? And we have books that kind of help us get to that point uh, in various phases and areas and circles of our life. In our business, we have things like, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, or, or um, in our spiritual life, we have books like Radical, which kind of tells you what God's mission for you in the world is. Like we want to know that, right? We long to know that. Um, the most famous, like think of uh, Purpose Driven Life, which these are fine books. By the way, I'm not criticizing these books. A Purpose Driven Life, which has sold 30 million copies. Uh, that was 10 years ago. That was the statistic I found from 10 years ago. It sold probably another 30 million more copy in the last 10, year, in the last 10 years. But we pay lots of money, not only for books, but for seminars, for videos, for just whatever, to kind of help us get there, to find out what God's mission for our life is. We, we want to know this so badly, We want to have a clear direction and a clear purpose, and not only do we read books and go to seminars and watch videos, but we interpret all of the things that go on in our lives. We interpret our circumstances. We interpret our dreams sometimes. We read into our feelings and our leadings and our liver quivers, whatever it is that we are desperate to know what God's wonderful plan for our lives is, and and here is our guide Jonah. (laughs) <laughs> and he knows exactly what God wants him to do with his life. He has a clear plan, a clear purpose, a clear direction, and he knows, he, lo- he, he has what we long to have. And then what is Jonah's response? Nope. Not going to do it. Like, he has all of this unambiguous knowledge, and he utterly denies it. No thanks. No thanks. And he runs not only, not only uh, he not only just doesn't go; he runs in the opposite direction. Um, he goes to Tarshish. Not only like, not that any of us has ever done that, right? Not that God has said go here and do this, and we say no, and we go over here and do that. Um, we have run and we've gone to the left when God says to go to the right. Like we've not none of us have ever done that, right? But but Jonah did. Uh, and here in the book and in our passage, like God shows up, first of all, in all of his mercy. God, in all of his mercy and all of his patience and all of his kindness and grace is really at the heart of Jonah. God's mercy to the collective wickedness of Nineveh, but also... God is present here in his mercy and patience and kindness and grace to his stiff-necked prophet, Jonah. So as we kind of go through the text this morning, I want us to look at this in two ways. The first is the message of God's mercy. And the second is God's mercy to his messenger. So the message of God's mercy and then God's mercy to his messenger Let's look at the message of God's mercy because God's heart is on display, like I've been saying. Uh, And in in verse two of chapter one, He says to Jonah, "Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up from has come up before Me." And Nineveh was a great city. It was a great city. It was great in size. It was large. Um, it is, It is. Um, the ruins of Nineveh are across the river from modern day Mosul, Iraq. And so we, we know where it was. Nineveh was the capital, the kind of the military capital of the, the empire of Assyria. in uh, chapter three, we're given this kind of detail about Nineveh, that it was three days journey to go from one end of Nineveh to the other end of Nineveh. It took three days to walk across the breadth of the city. And now, so that probably included, like, the suburbs of Nineveh and kind of all the surrounding uh, villages and towns and stuff, but it was all very much considered to be Nineveh. Like, you tell somebody, like, if you live out in Carville, but you tell an out-of-towner where you're from, you say, I'm from Memphis, right? So, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Um, so the greatness of Nineveh was great, like, physically it was big. But it, they were, there's no exaggeration to say that Nineveh was an extremely evil place. Uh, the culture of Nineveh, the practices of Nineveh, uh, it, was, it was evil. And God says, He's not hiding this fact from us. Like, the, that, that go and call out against the city because their evil has risen up from before me. And, and the Assyrians were, at that point in Israel's history, the the main enemy. Of God's people. Um, Nahum in chapter 3 kind of has this word and description of Nineveh a few years before Jonah. He says, "'Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey, the crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear,' Hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. Not like not what you would put on your uh, commercial convention and visitors bureau brochure for the city of Nineveh, right? And so that was the description that was the the that was the truth of who Nineveh was and who the people of Nineveh was, and, and there's this sense of this stench of evil rising up. Like we 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 offer sacrifices, and the people of God are called to offer sacrifices to the Lord, so that it would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That's all in Leviticus. If you read Leviticus; it talks about doing this sacrifice and that sacrifice, and it says this will be a pleasing aroma to God. Well, this is the opposite of that. This disobedience, this departure from not just God's word and what it says, because they were completely ignorant of that, but just the departure of you know, humanity from the people of Nineveh in their practices. This was an extremely evil place that God was calling Jonah to go to. It was more than that for Jonah this is, this is somewhat speculative, but I've got some pretty thick-looking and important-looking commentaries that kind of back me up on this. <laughs> this was personal from, for Jonah, because he was from a town in the northern part of the northern kingdom of Israel, right on the border of Assyria, and, and, and it is highly likely that, this was personal for him, that, that the Assyrians raided and caused suffering and direct damage to Jonah and people that he knew and people that he loved, that, that he himself and people that he knew and loved suffered from the Assyrian threat, and so these weren 't abstract sort of uh, people that you hear about on the news as being bad people these these were people that that Jonah very likely had a first hand experience with so this is the greatness of this city of Nineveh in every respect, great in size, great in wickedness. Uh, but it comes to meet its match then in the greatness of grace of God, that the, the wickedness of Nineveh was great, but God's heart for the lost, even people so lost as, as these were, that God's heart for the lost was greater. And where we would draw boundaries around those who can and can't be saved, his pursuit of, of sinners is a pursuit with a love that is unbounded. That his grace is a grace that has no categories. And from Jonah's perspective, this call to arise and go to Nineveh, this great city, would have been impossible. Except for one thing. Except for one thing. Verses 1 through 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, arise and go. This wasn't Jonah's idea. This was God's idea. This was God's initiation. This was God's plan. This was God moving towards a city full of evil sinners. And as he calls a prophet to prophesy against a place, there, it kind of played itself out in one of two ways. Either that prophet stayed in Israel and prophesied about the people of Nineveh from a distance in which case it meant that God was going to smite them and going to f- fulfill the terms of the prophecy. Uh, he was pretty much determined to do that. Or, as in Jonah's case, if Jonah was sent to go and bring the word of the Lord to the people that the prophecy was about, then there was a real possibility, a real chance, in fact, a real likelihood of those people turning and repenting And avoiding God's judgment because of God's mercy and grace in sending someone to prophesy and to warn them and to preach the good news of the mercy of God. Jeremiah 18, 7-8 says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. That God was intending and initiating a work of grace that he was going to use Jonah to light the fires of repentance in the city of Nineveh. And so now we're the ones, we're the ones who are called to deliver God's message of mercy. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, you know this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. That there's a real sense in which God is calling our church, he is calling you, he is calling Grace Community Church to this mission, to join him as he moves towards our friends and neighbors and co-workers, as his kingdom takes root and expands its borders uh, in the places where we are planted, as his kingdom, guys, needs to take root and expand its borders within the, the battleground of your own heart. We are called to this ministry and this mission to declare the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, to demonstrate mercy and to delight in him wherever we are and wherever we go. That God's message of mercy doesn't sort people into categories. Those who are bad, but not too bad. Those who are too wicked to be saved. God's mercy doesn't put people in those boxes because those boxes don't exist. The scope of his mercy is such that nobody can ever be too far gone to receive his grace. Think about yourself as I say that. Think about your own heart. How many times I've looked at my own heart and I've said, He won't forgive me for that. Not again. He's too angry. I need to wait. I need to give God time to cool off before I repent of that one because, because he's too mad at me right now. That is not true. That God will forgive you and he does forgive you. And even as you see the evidence in your own heart of his mercy and grace never, never running out, even as you, you sin and struggle and fail time and time again, it proves the point that his mercy... And his grace is of such great a scope that our sinning can never exhaust it. He has called us not to put people into those same boxes that allow us to easily reject them or to forget about them. He calls us to see others as he sees us. As we are, he knows you fully and he loves you completely that he calls us to see others as needy sinners in need of mercy and then to love them because we share the same need for mercy and grace. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's message of mercy that Jonah's called to carry to the Nineveh, Ninevites. Let's listen and look at God's Mercy to his messenger, Jonah. So Jonah flees. He runs. We know this. It's famous. It is the subject of all of our Sunday school curriculum. Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, He went down to Joppa and found a ship going where? To Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to. Tarshish, right? Away from the presence of the Lord. Tarshish is as far away as you can get on the map in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Nineveh is landlocked to the east. Tarshish was somewhere on the west coast in the Mediterranean Sea, probably Spain somewhere. Uh, And so that's where Jonah goes. God says, hey, Jonah, arise. And so the text says, Jonah arose. And then Jonah went down. Jonah went down to Joppa. Jonah went down into the ship to go to Tarshish. Jonah goes as far away from God as he, he possibly can. Now look, there is a great irony here. Uh, this prophet of God who delivers God's word and God's message to his people, who has already done that and made a career out of it, as, as had Jonah attempting to flee the presence of God. What, is, what does the psalm say? Jonah likely knows the Psalms a little bit. Uh, and where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Uh, do you catch the, the futility and the irony and the, the kind of the, the nonsense uh, that's going on in Jonah's head? And it says uh, he paid the fare to go down. He is, he is expending his own capital to get away From God's mission. Donald Barnhouse says that when you run away from the Lord, you never get where you are going, and you always pay the fare. But when you go to the Lord's way, you will always get to where you are going, and He pays the fare. I like this from Paul David Tripp The God of glory and grace, who calls His people to do His will on earth, always goes with them as they obey His calling. He never sends them without going to. In a lot of ways, the book of Jonah is, is there's a there's a plot twist in here. And you always, have you ever seen a movie where well, there's some big plot twist at the end? You kind of can't watch that movie again the same way. Like if someone spoils the sixth sense for you before you see it, you, you go into it knowing what's going to happen. And it colors the way you see the whole movie well, here's the, the plot twist in Jonah, and it's pretty significant because we make assumptions, but in the end, all of those assumptions are wrong, right? Our assumption is that Jonah flees because he's afraid of failure. And that we've kind of, as we've talked about Nineveh and who they are, like we get the sense of, of, of how difficult this was, that there was, there was a real sense in Jonah's heart of the hopelessness and danger of what God was calling him to do, to go into the heart of the city of the people that hate his people and call them to repentance. That is a dangerous calling and it is difficult It is difficult and dangerous in the place of Nineveh as Jonah does it, but it's also difficult and dangerous back home for Jonah as he then alienates all the people around him on his side of the aisle, right? So we've kind of given Jonah all these excuses as to why he might flee, but Jonah himself tells us. He tells us why he flees. In chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah prays to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Because he knew God would be merciful. Jonah wasn't afraid of failure, Jonah was afraid of success that God is actually here uh, going to do something through Jonah in the, in the city of Nineveh to spare people, what God is also doing in the stronghold of Jonah's own heart is disrupting it, that he is disrupting Jonah in the middle of his daily life as he says, arise and go. And he is not only confronting Nineveh with his mercy, but he is confronting Jonah's idols, with that same mercy. That he confronts our idols here too, that he calls us then to reject the idols of comfort, of security, of predictability, of knowing which side you are on. I like my routine. (laughs) When my routine gets disrupted by my kids or by something else, uh, my idol gets bumped, right? And I don't like that. When my kids won't let me rest after, I know you find it hard to believe, but preachers do a hard day's work every once in a while. And when I come home and my, and my rest is disrupted by my kids, how dare these little disciples need discipling, right? <laughs> that when my avenues of escape, books or TV or whatever, get cut off, my idol gets bumped. I love living in a time and a place where we have every convenience. And, and when the washing machine or the air conditioner goes on the fritz, I, that disrupts my idols. I love rarely being challenged or called out for my sins. And the gospel confronts me with my own battle against sin, even as I proclaim it to others. And I've been confronted before. And guess what? It disrupts my idols. I am uncomfortable talking openly about Jesus with people I don't know very well. I tend to shut off people that take a different political stand on things that I do. I tend to sort people into two categories normal sinners and too sinful to be saved kind of sinners. That my reasons for rejecting this call that God has. Uh, point to point myself outward are all based on idols that are in my own heart that God is confronting with his mercy and grace even as he calls me to go out in order to confront those idols we need something we need humility part of Jonah's problem is and part of my problem as I go along is that we forget I forget or I don't understand completely or well enough my need for grace, just as Jonah didn't understand his need for grace to be able to preach it to others. That our deepest longing should be for the grace of seeing the sin in our own lives. For the grace of seeing uh, this call to repentance as a redemptive call as an act of mercy on God's part as he awakens me to the depth of my need that, so that the, the beauty of the cross then grows in my es- estimation as I more and more see the depth of my own need and the, the, the capacity that I have for sinning and the role that idols play in my heart and in my life. The grace of being grown up, matured by the truth of our, our total dependence upon his mercy. This idea of dependence and weakness played itself out when I was in college through a guy, a friend that I met at Campus Crusade. Uh, His name was Chad Prestridge. And Chad and I got to be very good friends through Campus Crusade. Um, Chad was quadriplegic uh, and he, he he was a big dude he was a, he was a football player in Alabama and he dove into shallow water and broke his neck and and through surgery and therapy had the use of his arms and his shoulders but his not his hands and he certainly couldn't walk and and about a year after meeting Chad he in, he invited me to come be one of his daily attendants and so me and uh, it took about 3 of us to get Chad in and out of bed each each and every morning and night and I did that for several years, and kind of doing that, getting to know who Chad was and his his heart and and um, and, and all of that he, chad 's heart really was shaped by God using his broken body to teach him about his weakness, uh, that his his broken body embodied what it meant to be. Uh, What it meant to me to be grown up by the truth of our dependence on God's mercy. That I saw in Chad's just daily struggle and daily routine and daily uh, just witness and personality. this, This humility that comes from knowing that he can't. But that God can and does and will. Um, J.I. Packer has this quote. uh, He says, Felt weakness deepens our dependence on Christ for strength. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean on Christ. The harder we lean on Christ, the more we grow spiritually. I think part of what Jonah has forgotten, and what we tend to forget, is the depth of our dependence on Jesus. How much... We need Jesus on a continual, ongoing, day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. And it's only when we see our, our total dependence on His mercy that we'll start to believe that God can and He will save anybody, that His mercy and grace is for everyone and for all. And then when we understand then that, Then we have the ability, fueled by the power of his Holy Spirit, to arise to grace and answer God's call to embark on a mission of mercy to sinners, to answer the gospel call, to glorify him in our going out and in our proclamation of the greatness of his mercy. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we we thank you for um, the enormity of your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your call to us, which reminds us of our need of Jesus. We thank you, O oh Lord, that we have a Savior like Christ. Who lived the life that we can never live and died the death that we should have died, also so that that deep need might be filled up and met in him and, and so that our debt might be paid, and, and the standard of god 's holiness by, might be met by his perfect life. Lord. help us as, as we go from day to day to remember and to be reminded of our need for that mercy help us as you send us out into the world even this morning to our homes and to our schools and to our workplaces and and to the, the places where we run errands each day to to be salt and light not because we shine so brilliantly within ourselves but because we've we've been about the business of reflecting that grace and mercy back into the world that we've received lord help us to love others as you have loved us. Lord, we pray all of these things for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.